The Start On Demand. On demand. A special weather statement is in effect for southern Manitoba, including the city of Winnipeg. We could see snow by the end of the week. Another debate, another debacle. The federal leaders' debate on Monday night was, as Charles Adler describes, a train wreck. He'll join us and tell you what he thought of it. The Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra wants you to turn on your phone. And Winnipeg drummer slash international star Brent Fitz is going to help introduce the Winnipeg Jets with live music for Thursday's home opener. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Tuesday, October 8th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We have lots to talk about on the debate in a moment. But before that, my God, you guys, the uh, I got the notification. I think it was around 3.30 yesterday afternoon from the various weather apps I have, AccuWeather, Weather Network, Environment Canada. And I saw the word special weather statement. I'm sitting on my balcony in the sunshine, beautiful day, and I see special weather statement. And I think I'm just, I'm not ready. Not ready. You mean the first thought wasn't, oh boy, we have more 20 degree days coming? They're issuing a statement saying, more summer. Summer is returning. That wasn't the special <laughs> weather statement. That's what I was kind of hoping for. Yeah, I thought it was going to be heat related. It's heat related for the next, what, like eight hours? Seven hours? Yeah. What's the countdown on that? that basically saying that this warm weather is going to turn and turn hard tomorrow we've got snow coming potentially in southern manitoba wednesday in westman at least and then thursday that colorado blow moves in and you know they're also reminding people to use the tweet hashtag manitoba storm to report all those delightful things we'll be seeing which doesn't mean what rain or clouds or tornado it means snow yeah so i think environment canada actually backed off a little bit on the snow i was seeing actual snowfall totals and like predicting five to ten centimeters and they were saying we could see up to 20 but looking at the forecast right now uh they're just saying thursday night rain or snow right friday snow or rain (laughs) and then friday night rain or snow how does i wonder who decides (laughs) you know what order they put them in (laughs) we should ask them that we have environment canada coming on at seven and we should ask him if we're reading too much into where the snow gets put in the sentence if snow goes first what does it mean yeah and saturday 70 percent chance of showers so we might see snow might not kayla shea global weather specialist is going to join us in our next segment with more details and like loren said 707 we have environment canada we also have a concert announcement at 707 And before I forget to mention this, if you want a chance to win tickets for Miranda Lambert, she's coming to Winnipeg, May 2nd, 2020, Bell MTS Place. We have put up a post on the 680 CJOB Instagram page where we're asking the question, are you ready for snow? So if you want to qualify for these tickets, which we're going to select a winner at 930, all you got to do is make sure you follow us, first of all, on Instagram. You got to follow 680CJOB and just comment on the post, and then we'll pick a winner at 930. And the winner yesterday was quite creative in their response, right, Brett? Yep. So we're looking for creativity, not just the fact that you're getting engaged. want to see how you get engaged. We're going to grade you a little bit, right, Loren? I think so. We're going to get judgy. Judging porch. Right. The basset hound will make the call. (laughs) I'll get the the dog out. I'll sit on my porch with my rocking chair, and I will ruminate over whether or not you deserve that prize. All right. Now, speaking of uh, ruminating, who did you watch the full debate, Greg? Not the full debate. I listened to some of it while I was cutting the grass last night and uh, getting my shovel out of the garage. And at the same time, and then went in and, and watched most of the rest of it. But I couldn't hack most of it. It was so much over-talking. Loren? It really was. Yeah, no, I watched the whole thing. And um, there were some good takeaways. There were some moments where I thought, wow, I really like this person in this moment, you know, and that and that happened for a couple of them. It, it still came back to me, and we knew this was going to happen, and this is why Justin Trudeau, you know, a little bit got to hide yesterday in that debate, because there was too many people on that stage. There shouldn't be six of them on there. I still don't understand how Maxine Burn 
Bernier got a seat at that table. And I don't get how the Bloc Québécois get to be there. I don't. They don't represent the rest of Canada. They don't have people running in Manitoba. And yet they get to have such a position at that debate. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. I did like the I liked the different moderators. I thought that was a great idea. And it allowed you to see different voices step in and also see how hard that job is, whether it was the person from Global National, Donna Friesen, our chief anchor, or the Toronto Star reporter or CBC anchor, everybody had trouble wrangling the voices. And you could hear Donna Friesen at one point saying, okay, well, your time's up and you just wasted it talking over each other. So moving <laughs> along. And, and I, so I thought that was neat to see the challenge there, but just all overall way too many people. And I, I don't know why we allow that to continue. We had somebody text us at 204-780-6868 last night saying the same thing. Why is a party that only represents Quebec on the federal ballot? That from John. That's always been one of my biggest frustrations with federal politics. The Bloc Québécois, they don't represent me. They don't represent anybody else but Quebec. So I, it just, I, I think the, it's it's almost like we're pandering to Quebec by just allowing them to to be there. So that drove me nuts. And one of my buddies commented on Facebook regarding Andrew Shear's first question, saying, you, you didn't answer the question. You just made yourself look like a jackass. The question was, as prime minister, how would you defend interests and values of Canadians on the world stage? And it only took Shear seven seconds to take aim at Trudeau. Here's what he said. Of course, I will always stand up for Canada and Canadians' interests and promote free trade and defend our interests all around the world. But Justin Trudeau only pretends to stand up for Canada. You know, he's very good at pretending things. He can't even remember how many times he put blackface on. Because the fact of the matter is, he's always wearing a mask. He puts on a reconciliation mask and then fires the Attorney General, the first one of Indigenous background. He puts on a feminist mask and then fires two strong female MPs for not going along with his corruption. He puts on a middle-class mask and then raises taxes on middle-class Canadians. Mr. Trudeau, you are a phony and you are a fraud and you do not deserve to govern this country. Pretty strong, in my opinion. It comes off as a little condescending and a little high and mighty, but I think there are a lot of people agreeing with that, the way Andrew Scheer presented this. And here's the other side, and this matches up with the text message that we got last night during the post-debate wrap-up with, uh, with Richard Cloutier and Lisa Sutton. Uh, when will Trudeau realize he's not running against Ford and Harper? Well, Andrew Scheer took aim at that very notion. First of all, Mr. Trudeau, you seem to be oddly obsessed with provincial politics. There is a vacancy for the Ontario Liberal leadership. And if you're so focused on provincial politics, go and run for the leadership of that party, Mr. Trudeau. Regardless of how he said it and what he said, Loren, I think Andrew Scheer was very strong and came across very confident last night. He's certainly as strong as he's been, I think, over the last several months in the sense of he kind of uh, came out swinging and he seems tougher and stronger. I also think uh, Jagmeet Singh came out super confident and he seemed unflappable and at ease up there. So I think if those are things you watch for in the sense of, is this person calm while they're under attack or, or do they have the right answer? I think those are things that you watch for. I, 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 Justin Trudeau didn't stand out at all, but that's largely because he didn't have to. There was so much, you know, Maxime Bernier got a chance to speak and then the Bloc got a chance to talk and then the Green goes after NDP for something. And it's like, well, we're in the middle of this. We know it comes down. It's a two horse race. And one of the horses just got to hang back and coast to the finish line. I'm not saying he won, but he didn't have to do anything. And that's disappointing because it didn't feel like he ever really had to respond. A drum kit would have livened things up last night, hey, Loren? Well, it would have. Uh, you, I, I wonder if you could have kept the beat to the crosstalk. Like every time somebody uh, spoke over the other, you should have just had like someone slamming cymbals together to break it up or something like that. Because that was the biggest, like the noise, the, the sheer volume of just nonsense was hard to get past in the sense of like, okay, well, is this person actually making a good point or is the other one just stepping on them? And so, yeah, I think that we've got some audio here to play, Brett, about just how frustrating that was when it came to just them talking over one another. Well, and there was an exchange, there was about a two and a half minute exchange on the topic of a woman's right to choose. And I think this little exchange is kind of indicative of how the whole night went because it led to all sorts of fireworks. So first, here's Andrew Shear and Justin Trudeau. 
Trudeau. I have always been very clear, both in English and in French, the, the, the answers have always been the same. This is something that at the federal level we will not pursue. The Conservative Party has always stood for individual liberty, for fundamental human rights. It was a Conservative Prime Minister that brought forward the Bill of Rights, the last Prime Minister from Saskatchewan, Except, uh, John Diefenbaker. Mr. Sheer, and we you won't will defend a woman's right to choose. You're, you've that dismissed LGBT, uh, LGBT protections. False. Uh, you, you haven't apologized for your words millions, against LGBT millions, Canadians uh, millions years ago. Canadians, will you, will you recognize and Canadians, apologize for that? Millions of Canadians have a different position on this issue. And like millions of Canadians, I am personally pro-life. And it is okay in this country to have a difference of opinion, something yes, you do not recognize. But Canadians, it is beneath, it is beneath Canadians need to Prime know to that their Prime Minister for their Canadians views. need the to know that their Prime Minister One at a time, please. Issue. One at a time. Global National Anchor Donna Friesen trying to corral these politicians into a sane conversation didn't work. The laws and access on this issue have not changed for 30 years under Liberal Prime Ministers, under Conservative Prime Ministers. Mr. Sure, let me have the change. need to know that their Prime Minister will be there to defend them. I have just answered that question. Let me, let's allow Mr. on defending this rights. You're signing the nomination papers of people who want to take away the rights Nova Scotia. Okay. Nobody can hear what you're saying anymore. You will be signing the nomination papers for no people who have place. pledged to take away rights from women's 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 women's. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, that last point was good. I enjoyed the last point, if you could hear it, from Singh saying that a man has no position in a conversation about a woman's right to choose. Yeah, but that, that whole exchange just is... That summarizes why politics drives me insane, because they just can't conduct themselves. They remind, I've made this analogy before, but they're like children throwing sand at each other in the sandbox. There's just no discord. Uh, but Elizabeth May did weigh in on that point that Jugmeet Singh made. It's been really interesting for most of this campaign to hear a lot of men arguing about what a woman's rights should be, but having all of you, except for Max, participated in the TVA debate where you were perfectly happy to keep women out uh, off the stage. I'm the only woman leader of a party. You participated in a debate which did not let our little girls see that there's a chance for a woman in this country to be prime minister, to run as the leader of a party. We must be clear as all leaders, and you are not clear, Andrew, that we will never allow a single inch of retreat from the hard earned rights of women in this country not one inch so of the leaders I would say Elizabeth may most qualified to have an opinion and to present it the way she did and is it fair to say Loren that of the leaders on the stage last night you would have imagined that Jagmeet Singh would have the strongest take on Bill C-21, the Quebec legislation that, that bans religious symbols for government workers. Yet when he had the opportunity to come out against that legislation to speak about it, he danced around the subject. Yeah, I think that was the frustrating part because he stood there and said... Obviously, someone like me, and he pointed to himself and referenced the turban he's wearing and his his faith and being a Sikh and the fact that he's been confronted by various uh, races throughout this campaign and over the years. And then he went on to not say whether or not he would intervene. He was very wishy-washy on it. And that that's hard, too. I don't think you can stand there and say, obviously, someone like me would be against someone like this, but then not be against it as a prime minister of Canada. Uh, it's probably pretty obvious to folks that I am obviously against Bill 21. Uh, it is something that hurts me, makes me feel sad. I think about all the times I grew up being told that I couldn't do things because of the way I looked. And I think about all the people in Canada that grow up being told they can't achieve more because of their identity or who they are. And I think about the people in Quebec right now that are being told just because they wear a hijab that they can't be a teacher or if they wear a yarmulke they can't be a judge. And that's hurtful and it's wrong. And it probably comes as no surprise that I'm opposed to laws that divide people. And what I do every single day when I go to Quebec is I say, hey, I'm here. I'm someone that believes in fighting climate, the flight, fighting the climate crisis. I'm someone that believes in firmly and unequivocally the rights of women, the right of women to choose and to build more access to abortion services. I believe firmly in making sure we tackle the powerful corporations that are, that are influencing government and that are not allowing, uh, that are challenging our ability to ensure that we build services that lift up people. Thank I'm doing you. that every single day. 
on their okay. own on their own points worth making in that last section of clips. Yeah, but that's two separate thoughts. This Correct. is what's so frustrating about debate. Obviously, someone like me, pretty obvious to folks that I'm opposed, oppo- I'm against Bill C-21, but then he doesn't go on to say what he would do about Bill C-21. He goes to talk about how he would take on powerful corporations to address affordability. Great. Nothing to do with the other. So this is why they're so frustrating to listen to, because the question is one thing, the answer is another. And then sometimes they were all just choosing to not answer it at all and attack somebody else. And that's where I think people get a, have a real problem with the format and even just politics itself. I think it was an odd pivot on behalf of uh, Jagmeet Singh, who was scoring tons of points on social media as I was keeping track of that. But not as fun, Brett, as those who were suggesting every time someone interrupted somebody else. That person should have to take a shot of some sort of alcohol, and then perhaps by the end of the debate, we would find out exactly how people really felt about one another and about the issues. Basically suggesting, let's get these people uh, intoxicated and and find out how they really feel. Warren Kinsella actually tweeted last night, uh, political commentator Warren Kinsella, he tweeted, if you took a shot every time Trudeau said the word Harper, you'd be dead. And uh, that's one of the things that I noticed. He just kept going back to Stephen Harper this, Stephen Harper that. And that's another tactic that I hate in these debates when leaders hearken back to the previous government. Like, if it's four years ago, let's just move on. Focus on your own stuff. We should, they should come up with a set of rules, lay it out like that. You can't reference, you know, something that's X number of years old. You can't turn the attack onto someone else. If you don't answer the question and all the, don't do all the above accordingly, we have a mute button, and we'll just mute, mute you and move on to the next. Put them in individual booths somewhere, like voiceover booths. Trap them in there, lock the door, and shut their mic off when they don't answer the question appropriately. Mackling McGarry McNabb. Mackling, what happened on Sunday with Ellen? Ellen DeGeneres attended an NFL football game in Dallas, featuring the Cowboys and Packers. In itself, not news. What had social media buzzing was who she was sitting with. I was aware that I was going to be surrounded with people from very different views and beliefs. And I'm not talking about politics. I was rooting for the Packers. And uh, get this, everybody in the Cowboys suite was rooting for the Cowboys. And during the game, they showed a shot of George and me laughing together. People were upset. They thought, why is a gay Hollywood liberal sitting next to a conservative Republican president? Didn't even notice I'm holding the brand new iPhone 11. And... uh, but a lot of people were mad, and they did what people do when they're mad. They tweet, and, uh, but here's one tweet that I loved. This uh, person says, Ellen and George Bush together makes me have faith in America again. And um, I'm friends with George Bush. In fact, I'm friends with a lot of people who don't share the same beliefs that I have. We're all different, and I think that we've forgotten that that's okay that we're all different. For instance, I wish people wouldn't wear fur. I don't like it, but, but I'm friends with people who wear fur. So that was 52 seconds of a three-minute-plus monologue from Ellen DeGeneres. Wanted to get right to the point. Can you be friends with people with whom you disagree, in some cases, very strongly? Kelly Moore? Well, uh, myself and my two daughters are at opposite ends of the political (laughs) uh, spectrum. So the answer to that is yes. You can actually get along well with people who you love that you share opposite views with. But sometimes doesn't it come across as being very, very argumentative when you're having these discussions and can it not... But isn't that healthy? I I don't know, I'm asking. Yeah, no, yes. I I love it. I, I think that that's what makes the world go round is that we can have opposite views, but at the end of the day, you know, we can still respect each other's position. That, to me, is what is important. If we were all, you know, agreeable on, on everything, then I don't know that we would accomplish what, what uh, we, we probably can. So I, I love the idea that there are uh, opposing views. And uh, quite frankly, I, I, I just don't get why everybody was so upset about Ellen being uh, there with George W. I, I, I thought she was bang on in her monologue. Because people are judgy. And I think you're right, Kelly. Like, I think we look at that and it's really simple to say, well, he thinks one way on this. How on earth could you be friends with him? as a result. And we do that all the time in our own circles, or even worse now, I think because of social media, we just go looking for all these like-minded opinions and unfollow or delete friends who don't think like us. And then our bubble, our world just becomes this bubble where we're only surrounded by those who 
like what we like, think like we think, and do what we do. And then we become more judgy as a result because we can't possibly see outside our own circle. Jeff Braun. I grew up uh, in a house where the parents were opposite politically, and so I don't like anybody. <laughs> That's the result of that, I guess. I don't know. No, uh, the social media outrage, I always I take it with a grain of salt because I think when you go into real life, you find that people aren't really, don't really think like that. Everything is just so black and white on social media that you're either, everyone's either an angel or a devil, and there's just nothing in between. And real life just doesn't work like that. Well, and, two, and if people think that it does, they're insane. In 280 characters, it's impossible to be conciliatory. Let's no. be honest. You, you're sort of forced to take one position or another, and that's how you get noticed, and that's how you get retweeted, and that's how you, you build a follower base, I suppose, is to have a very strong take one way or the other. I remember I used to, years ago, when I had an opinion, I would be more aggressive about it, more angry about it, and I would kind of stick to my guns. But there, I had an exchange, and it had to do with politics. Um, oh, God, maybe this might have been eight years ago. And somebody commented on my post, and, and he had an opposing view, and it came from a position that normally would be a bit more militant about it, but he was very open-minded and, and just calm and calmly said, why don't you just look at it from this perspective and it was sort of an eye it was like one of those turning point moments and now i actually really look forward to meeting with people or hanging out with people who have different views provided they're not jerks about it because then we can have a conversation and then it helps to open my mind further i always try to look at things from a fresh perspective and to gain new perspective uh because to me if you're not if you don't want to keep growing then mm-hmm. what what are you doing you're gonna lose your twitter account with stuff like that brett come on <laughs> <laughs> oh, yank it away from you Fort J. I was just thinking about like social media especially and how people put their opinions out there like i know one person who believes in flat earth which i do not personally they do but this person's the nicest person ever. Uh, she's picked up a stranger off the street who's in need and had to drive him to hospital. So, like, why does an opinion have to make that person who they are? You know what I mean? It defines them in, yeah. in a great extent uh, in the social media world. This was one of the moments in the debate that I like the most. It's only 19 seconds here from Andrew Shear to Jugmeet Singh. And I didn't, you know, we don't need two hours like this, but this was very refreshing. Uh, well, Mr. Singh, I just want to start off by uh, uh, congratulating you on the way that you have handled uh, so many issues around race and identity. Uh, as someone who has uh, been the victim of these types of, uh, of racist acts in the past, uh, I certainly believe you have uh, handled it with a lot of class, uh, especially as it relates to some of the scandals that have come out uh, during you. this campaign. That's a great way to start a conversation in my mind, Loren. I think I thought that was great. I thought that was really nice, and it was an it was almost like an obvious thing to say, but nobody had said it yet, which is why I think it also stood out. I'm curious if Jeff has ever gone for a car ride with this friend who believes in the flat Earth and where she thinks it's going to go. That's I haven't, mine. but I, I've been to school with her, and she's the nicest person ever. Yeah, uh, it's really absolutely. fascinating. I think that's great because it would be so hard in some circumstances to not keep coming back to that same thing that others might find irksome. But to just move on and say, okay, you think that way, but I can still be friends with you is cool. I'm a pretty laid back guy, though, so <laughs> I didn't, I didn't get, I didn't get that from you. <laughs> <laughs> one of our listeners says it's one thing to have a difference of opinion; it's another to spread ignorance. Debate is healthy. Back in July, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers announced their latest inductees into the team's Hall of Fame. Defensive back Les Brown will be inducted as a player, and longtime team doctor Burt Longstaff has been given the honor as a builder. Here's a quote from Wade Miller. Les Brown was one of the most dominant defensive backs in Canadian Football League history and a Grey Cup champion, and later served as one of our assistant coaches. Here's a look back at a couple of plays from the great Les Brown. Matt Pierce. Reverse from Matt Pierce. 
Flanagan being chased by Jones gets the pass away. It is intercepted. Les Brown, who loves the CFL and interceptions with 10, picks off the goal intended for David Williams. This time the pass goes the other way to Winfield. Has he got it? It's intercepted. And yet Mike Riley tells us today he feels Les Brown's had the best year he's had in his career. Now he's 27 interceptions, including a league-best total of 14 in 1990 and 10 in 1991. Brown side with the blue and gold as a free agent in 89, played 51 regular season games with the team before tra- being traded to Ottawa in 92. Les Brown retired in 93 and was inducted in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame in 2002. And one more thing we want to let you know, he returned to Winnipeg as a member of the Bombers coaching staff from 1999 to 2004. We say good morning to Les Brown. How are you, sir? I am just fine. How's everybody out there in the Midwest? Uh, We're doing really well, Les. Thanks for taking some time with us, and congratulations. Uh, uh, An honor that is most certainly deserved and uh, potentially overdue, but that doesn't matter now. Uh, You played some incredible games as a member of the Blue Bombers and of the Tiger Cats, and and Ottawa, and we don't need to talk about those other teams. But your time here in Winnipeg, you're part of a very dominant defense. Uh, talk about your time as a Blue Bomber. Well, like you said, um, I came from a, a team in Hamilton that had a dominant defense, and their defensive line was the best thing, you know, the, uh, of that defense. And then I came to Winnipeg right after that to a defense that everybody in every position was dominant. And so you either had to fit in or you get lost, right? So <laughs> I was trying to fit in. <laughs> 1990, of course, a special season uh, because it was, if you can believe it, the last time the Bombers won the Grey Cup, but it was such a dominating game. And the defensive play was such a big part of that 50-11 to win over Edmonton. Uh, Greg Battle was the star of that game. Talk a little bit about Greg Battle and, and some of the other Blue Bomber greats that you played with before we shower you with affection. Well, you know, all those interceptions that you talked about at the beginning that I got it uh, uh, by playing in Winnipeg, it all became because of the pressure of, you know, our defensive line. And our linebacking core was outstanding with Greg Battle, uh, Tyrone Jones, James West, Paul Randolph. I mean, come on, you know, like (laughs) every last one of those names are in some kind of Hall of Fame. And uh, so they were putting on all kind of pressure. And if you didn't cover your man well, you know, he was going to catch the ball on. If you was covering your man well, you were going to get a lot of interceptions. So that year, I believe not only did me and Rod Hill uh, probably have the, the best year of any defensive backs with me having 14 and him having 12, uh, we broke a, a CFL record for uh, turnovers uh, for defense that year too. Got to ask you, uh, do you still follow the Bombers? And if so, what do you think of what's happening with the team right now? Well, I like what I see because defense wins championships, and they have a really, really good defense that really believes in themselves, right? So, uh, and they got a good coach, good, good coaching staff, right? We had the same thing in 1990, really good coaching staff and good players, players that really believed in themselves. So uh, I think they have a really good chance. Uh, well, they I'm... got a good running game. They got a, you know, they lost their quarterback, but uh, tell me what team didn't. <laughs> Well, you make a good point there, and I like the allusion back to the fact that you had the same kind of dynamics in 1990 because that's the year we keep referencing as we look back to our last Grey Cup. Les, I'm curious how hard it is now to watch a game and not want to armchair coach or armchair play. I mean, you know, we, we always talk about fans jumping in with their opinions. Do you find that you're the same way now as a, a retired player and coach? Oh, yeah, I have to watch games in, in rooms by myself because – you know, I think people don't want to hear me, uh, you know, armchair coach or play, <laughs> right, or player. So <laughs> that's why I go to the rooms. and I, But they can still hear me because I'm very loud and boisterous still. I haven't changed a bit in that way. <laughs> uh, you, you were a member of the coaching staff here from 99 to 2004 and in that stretch from 2000 to 2002 no team in the CFL won more games than the Blue Bombers obviously the most disappointing game in that stretch was the 01 Grey Cup but but mostly good memories from that time back in Winnipeg Les very good memories you know um Dave when I was I was uh when I first retired I started doing the TSN thing the analysis with Bob Bilovich and uh, Marty York and them. And then uh, Dave Ritchie came up to me and he, he said it just this way. He said, you want to 
uh, come and coach with me or you want to stay in that booth and do that sissy stuff on TV. (laughs) 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 So I said, okay, coach, you know what? I enjoy the game of football, right? And I like being on the sideline. It feels like being more involved. So I enjoyed the coaching aspect. And when I got to Winnipeg, he put me in charge of the linebacking core. And I I thought that was awesome because they they have to know, if you're going to be a defensive coordinator one day, you have to know what the front, the defensive front is doing, and you have to know what the secondary is doing. So being a linebacker, you have to know those things, right? So I thought that was great. And then having Antonio Armstrong my very first year being defensive player of the year, and then the second year Mo Kelly being defensive player of the year, and then the third year, Brian Clark getting ripped off because he had the best the best stats of all those two, and he didn't get defensive player of the year. But you know that was that was awesome, awesome memories. Les Brown, thank you for the memories. We'll never forget what you did in a blue bomber uniform. Unfortunately, remember some of the stuff you did against the bombers, mostly as a Tiger <laughs> Cat. But uh, always had a lot of love and respect for what you did and how you went about it. We look forward to having you back in the city this weekend. Thanks for this. Well, thank you. I'm looking forward to being back. Les Brown joining us live on 680 CJOB once again at halftime. He is going to be honored this Saturday as he gets ready to be inducted into the Winnipeg Football Club Hall of Fame. The laws and access on this issue have not changed for 30 years under Liberal Prime Ministers, under Conservative Prime Ministers. Mr. Chair, let me help you out here. need to know that their Prime Minister will be there to defend them. And you have have just answered that question. Not unequivocal on defending this rights. You're signing the nomination papers of people who want to take away your misogynist racist candidate in Nova Scotia. Nobody can hear what you're saying. Anymore. Global Nationals Donna Friesen trying to rein these politicians in, and it led at least one person in Canada to describe that debate as a train wreck. He is the boss of talk, host of Charles Adler Tonight, weeknights 9 to midnight on 680 CJOB and across this great nation. He is our friend and colleague, and he joins us now live. Charles Adler, good morning to you, sir. Brett, uh, special request uh, from your old friend and mentor. Okay. <laughs> Since this is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, do you mind if for just the next few minutes I call myself Madler? I just want to fit in. <laughs> just want to fit in. Yes. I think that sounds great, Charles. Love it. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was a train wreck. I was hoping that uh, Donna Friesen would just don the, the referee outfit and, you know, get the whistle out as well, whistle them down or, or break them apart, force them to behave, because that was unwatchable. It was difficult to watch at times, no question, Charles. But here's a question I have for you. A comment first. We have this take every single time we have a debate amongst leaders, whether it's provincially or federally. But if there wasn't a debate scheduled, would we scream bloody murder? Yeah, yeah, because that's what we do, uh, Greg. We scream bloody murder no matter what happens. We're murder screamers. <laughs> so then what do we do, Charles? Because, as you know, we just finished a provincial election here. Yeah. And I think people might be a little electioned out, perhaps. We had our own debate where many viewers thought back a month ago today that it was it was also its own train wreck. You couldn't hear anyone speak. So we've had a lot of talk over the years about the value of these debates, but we've also said, look, we need to do things differently. So what would differently look like so that I, as a voter, not as a journalist, but as a voter, could watch last night and say, okay, I learned learn something here about A, B, or C, D. I guess we have to go all the way to F if we're going to have six people on the stage. But did I learn something? Well, here's, here's what we've learned. We've learned that uh, the math tells us and our wisdom tells us that only one of two people is going to be prime minister. So with all due respect to Singh, who had a wonderful night, and Elizabeth May, who I dearly love, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, let me get all the polite crap out of the way, all right? Getting it out of the way now. Either Trudeau or Scheer is leader. Right. So I say put them both up there for 90 minutes. They can't just talk over each other for 90 straight minutes. But if you put those two up for 90 minutes, there will genuinely be some engagement. And people will, in, I think, in 90 minutes be able to determine which one deserves to be prime minister. And then Bob's your uncle. Is that why there were six leaders in total on the stage? Because we're just too damn polite, Charles? 
A, we're too damn polite, and I think uh, the incumbent, and I think the incumbent always has a say in how these uh, debates are formatted, uh, the incumbent being the, the liberals, wanted as many people on stage. If you had just asked, uh, you know, Gerald Butts, hey, uh, Jerry, uh, how many people would you like to have on the stage? He'd probably say a 1,000, because when the thing becomes a train wreck, uh, the advantage goes to the incumbent. People just say the hell with it, and they just keep voting the way they were going to vote anyway, and generally, generally, the incumbent has the advantage, especially in a situation where the incumbent has as a majority right now. So then if we look back on this, and it's always the question the next day, A, was there a knockout punch? And B, if there was, who who won the fight? Is there an answer to either of those questions, Charles? I think Singh had the opportunity for a knockout punch. Uh, I think he's still desperate to get a few seats in Quebec, and so he's relatively polite. He doesn't have to be polite on the Bill 21 issue simply because of who he is he could look the camera in the eye and say i'm a visible minority i feel this like nobody else on this stage and i believe that my national government should be fighting for our rights every single day and i will spend every single day whether i'm in government or out of government supporting the supreme court in destroying bill 21 I want Bill 21, which is a racist document, to be torn to pieces, and I'm counting on my government. In this case, I'm counting on Trudeau or Scheer or myself or May, whoever forms government, to support the Supreme Court's effort to do that. That's what's necessary. I think if he had said something like that, I think he would have come across as extremely prime ministerial, and his message would have been to Canada, look, I may not be prime minister next month, but down the road, count on me to be your PM. Yeah, we played about 70 seconds of what Jagmeet Singh had to say about Bill C-21, and Charles, that was my exact takeaway, was the fact that he had an opportunity to say something. He started down the path that you just outlined, but then he made a dramatic U-turn and did this pivot with regard to health care and housing and completely shied away from what I think a lot of people across the country wanted him to say, and he had a genuine opportunity that the rest of us don't get, is to say how sickening this law is. Well, he thinks that maybe he can still end up with one or two seats in Quebec, but that's desperate. The thing is, he would have come across as a national leader had he really gone after it from the heart, and it would have probably helped him in B.C. and Ontario and probably Manitoba. So, Charles, one of our, sorry, Loren, one of our text our listeners is saying, why not just turn off the microphones of whoever is not speaking? Would that work, or would you still just hear them in the background and it would be distracting, maybe even more distracting? Turning off the mic is always a good idea, don't you think, Brett? I mean, uh, there, there were times when I was a little over the top. You turned off my mic. No listener ever complained. <laughs> Turn off his mic. He's getting out of hand. The, 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 the Hungarian hound has gone overboard. He, he sometimes forgets to turn mine on, and I think it's deliberate, Charles. I really, really do. <laughs> you think Brett's a bit passive-aggressive? At times, it's just like I'm not going to let her. I'm not. She's not weighing in right now. I don't know but what you guys are talking about right now. I have no idea what's I, going on. I don't mean to be. I don't mean to be getting overly sentimental, but I am. <laughs> you know, I got uh, some tear in the eye right now. I miss you guys. I miss Winnipeg. I miss Manitoba. I miss CGOB, and I even miss Brett McGarry. <laughs> All right, I'll we take always, that as a win. We always miss Brett when he's on holidays. Last one for you here, Charles. Your Twitter, which. If they gave away Twitter awards, it would be award-winning. Uh, one of you. your followers said, complaining about the format of a debate seems like complaining about the weather conditions at a football game. And you said, uh, your analogy would be flawless, Aaron, if the CFL deliberately turned on a fog machine and destroyed the game. <laughs> That's what they did last night. I mean, that, that, they spent, by the way, they spent $6 million to F up the game. That's right. The commission spent $6 million on that thing. On on what exactly? Just, it, it blows my mind. And those, those basically are government dollars, tax dollars. We paid $6 million for that fogging. When I say F up the game, I'm talking about fog up the game. So please, for those people who are a little bit on the religious side who sometimes are very, very worried about me, the F stands for fog. $6 million bucks. What? Six million is what that whole Those desks were kind of cool. They were kind of funky. <laughs> yeah. They must have been 100,000 each, I guess. But, let, but let, let, look, let's just shoot straight with the folks here. They don't care about engaging each other. They don't care about having a debate. They don't care about having a democratic dialogue, blah, 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 blah. All they're doing is trying to generate clips. That's all they care about. They care about generating the kind of clips that this morning show is going to run the day after because... 
the belief is, this is Political Science 101, that uh, people don't judge debates by the debates. They judge them by the clips. And I think as far as the clip award goes, I think there, there are two clips uh, to me that are outstanding. One is uh, Jagmeet Singh saying to, to people, hey, you don't have to make a decision between Mr. Denial and Mr. Delay. And uh, Elizabeth May saying, God, God, please, no majority this time. You don't keep your promises. I think those two clips are outstanding. Charles Adler joining us live on 680 CJOB, the host of Charles Adler tonight, weeknights 9 to midnight on CJOB and across the Chorus Radio Network. The boss of talk, Charles Adler, thank you very much for joining us, sir. I love you, Winnipeg. Go Jets! We often talk to the Winnipeg Symphony, and you spotted something rather unique that they're doing. Well, you know, when you go to these performances, you know, you want to be well-heeled, you want to look your best, you want to be well-dressed, and you want to turn off your personal communication device, except in the circumstance we're about to talk about. For the first time, the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra is encouraging patrons to use their smartphones at select performances during the 2019-20 season as part of the organization's commitment to enhance and enrich the live symphony experience. J.F. Phaneuf is the VP of Artistic Operations with the WSO, and he joins us now. Good morning, J.F. Good morning. How are you today? Good, very well, thank you. So what's the deal? You're encouraging me to uh, be a distraction yes. at the symphony? Uh, what's the deal? Absolutely. Well, you know, like, uh, as you know, like, times have changed. I mean, in the past, like, 25 years, like, you know, since the advance of the Internet, you know, our world was put upside down uh, in relation to, uh, you know, live concert and uh, streaming, music streaming and all that stuff. And the fact is, is there's a lot of people that it's very difficult Although it is beneficial to just sit down and listen to a piece for 45 minutes and not move, you know, like do nothing. And we said, you know, let's find a way to have the, an ex, to change the experience for the, those people that have really have a hard time and break that barrier. And that's where the OnQ app came in. We looked at several software that were available on market. And this one fit, we felt fit the best with our organization since we can curate all the material ourselves. So what then, what is going to happen? Like, what happens with this app? What do you do? Well, what you do is you download the app, and uh, it's free. And you don't even need to uh, log in if you don't want to. There's a skip button. And then when people will be at the concert, right now, right now, the, lab, the, the app is live, actually, right now. And you can read right now all the program notes. We have uh, links to the piece that you, you're about to listen, and also the Overture magazine. But when the performance will start, we're having our assistant conductor that will be in the booth. And what happened is as the music unfolds, we have comments to uh, little notes to help the listener guide through the piece. Sometimes it will be a, a, a quote by Rachmaninoff himself, because we're doing the first one is the symphonic dances by Rachmaninoff. And sometimes you'll be our music director, Daniel Rice, can sing how he feels about that passage. Sometimes you'll be about explaining how, uh, why you're in this instrument and how is it formed. But the whole point is it's designed for people that really don't know anything about music. So no, you don't need to have a degree in music, but we're not going to throw at you all kinds of uh, terminology that you won't understand. It is really like something to engage you, and at the end, you not only will we have enjoyed that we experienced musically, but you'll feel that you know more now about Rachmaninoff and about how a piece is constructed. Well, it's kind of like taking the program, you know, with the, the old school program where you'd be able to read or know what portion of the song you were in, or it might have some history on the performer or other, but just putting it on your phone. I'm curious if you went to your orchestra members and and the performers and said what do you guys think about this and and did you have any feedback good or bad from folks because i can imagine also seeing a lot of people with their faces buried in their phones might prove to be distracting for some well, that's a very good point, and, and this is why I said when we looked at the, the, the there's uh, the Philadelphia Orchestra is using a, a software that's called Live Note, and for us when we looked at it, we felt it was too involved. 
this is where somebody could actually bury his head and in its phone like for the entire per, per the time of the performance and with the RQ we actually did a test run last week you know with the uh, with a recording and there's it takes on average to read the little comments we have unlike it's not program notes it's really little snippet that takes probably four to five seconds no more so and the, the slide change automatically because it is controlled by our assistant conductor who follows the music score so the musicians are very open to these kinds of new concept because uh, first of all what it is it's not intrusive because if you don't want to use it you just leave your phone put away because some orchestra try to change the experience by putting a, a big screen behind and having like zoomed and this really bothered a lot of patrons they say we don't want that with this it's very individual and uh, there's a black screen technology that makes that the reflection is very low and on top of this that one of the good thing about this is that as we go to the presentation when we explain what's an English horn then you will see the picture of our principal English horn player when you explain about a flute I think the melody where you see a picture of our principal flute so it's a way to uh, uh, introduce once again our musician to uh, our patrons attending the performance Brett to me this sounds like and feels like a lot of the way we watch movies and other entertainment these days, you supplement the viewing experience, or if you're at a live event, with your phone, with the internet, looking up statistics. That if you're at a sports game, you can't remember who played on that team, and oh, well, it's right at your fingertips. And I know I'm watching documentaries online or on TV, and I am looking up facts connected to that documentary as I'm watching it. I know you do the same thing. Yeah. That, 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 that's it's exactly right. Except that it's kind of curated so that we don't want to take away also from the experience of just listening and watching the orchestra. This is why I said we created like comments. Nothing is longer than about five, six seconds, no longer than this. Uh, but what is interesting is as you will hear, read your notes, you will hear exactly what we're talking about. If we talk about the descending flute melody that you hear it in your ears while you read this, and it really involves you going, oh, I understand now that it's not just notes put one after the other, but there's certain structure to every one of the movements. And when we did the test with our, our our team in the operation, the piece went by like super quickly, really. It's like everybody looked at each other saying, this is fantastic. So I really think that it's going to break from barriers with people saying, oh, no, no, it's too serious for me. Or like uh, at the beginning when you said you have to dress well. But, you know, you can dress in jeans too. The symphony is really different now. and We are breaking these barriers. We have a lot of young people coming. And this is exactly, this on Q app is one more step towards really breaking all the barriers to symphonic music. Got to ask you about something else, if you don't mind, JF, because I see that the day before you sent us that release on the OnQ app, you sent us a release that you are getting ready to introduce your first relaxed performance. Can you tell us about that? Well, yeah, well, this is the same thing. I mean, I, I've been with the orchestra for quite a long time, over 35 years, but uh, 12 years in my role. And uh, some of the people, we used to invite people uh, in our, some of our matinees or dress rehearsal. Some of the people that actually enjoyed these the most were people from places like the St. Amas Center, right? But, you know, these people, sometimes the way they like to express their joy is they'll, they'll scream, they'll want to stand up, they'll just like, and, you know, you can't do this. You have a no-no, things like this. And we said, that's ridiculous. We need to find a way to open our door sometime on some of our performances to everyone. And now we created a relaxed performance, what would happen in November, where we would have a, a, a quiet room, we would have special you know, aisles where people can walk up and down, and all these things, to once again open our music to everyone, and not just a small portion of the population. All right, Jay. Oh, go ahead, Lauren. No, I just was curious what the feedback is on that and what that kind of means to the broader community because it's really about inclusion at the end of the day, JF. It, it is. And, and, you know, we're not the only arts organization. Uh, the, the MTC's doing it, and we, uh, there's other orchestras in the country that are doing this. And it, that's exactly right. And they, we need to change our mind frame sometime and be more inclusive. And the people, like, you know, that are uh, attending these relaxed performances are fully aware that there might be, you know, some kind of noise intrusion that you won't hear in a regular performance and they are okay with this because they support that concept of inclusion and then by the way just to mention the on cue we are the first orchestra in the country to do this uh, experiment to do this uh, so to use this software so we're very proud of this to be in the forefront of these kinds of uh, experience jf enough 
VP Artistic Operations, Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. By the way, sir, I guess I'll see you in about a month's time for Superhero Showdown. It's coming. Yes, you will. November 8th, 9th, 10th, hosted by the Couch Potatoes. Me and Jeff Braun. Can't wait for that. We're looking forward to it. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and Miazga. Congratulations to John Miazga. He won the tickets for the Mavericks coming to Winnipeg on October 22nd, qualified for the meet and greet because he knew what, Greg? Well, we can simplify it just like this. We're listening to Tuke right now. Brent Fitz and company, their Canadian band that cover great Canadian tunes. This is their first original song. We introduced it to you a few weeks ago, and Wow, look at that. Look who's to my left. Brent Fitz joining us in studio. Good morning, Fitzy. Good morning. Great to have you back in the city. It's uh, it's early for me because I was I was busy yesterday all day rehearsing for something pretty cool that's going to happen this week. Uh, you're not kidding. Um, can I just read the formal release from the Winnipeg Jets Hockey Club and then we'll get into the nitty gritty here. The Winnipeg Jets Hockey Club will oh, also, launch... Sorry to interrupt, by the way. McNabb is on is on location today, so you guys might need to put your headphones on oh, so you right, can hear yeah. Loren. Our other host, uh, Loren McNabb, is is afar. There you go. Are you there, Say- McNabb? Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Okay. <laughs> just real- I would have just dived in, and they would pretend like they didn't hear me, and it would be like I fit right in. Well, <laughs> it would be like every other morning, right? Exactly. Just okay. ignore me completely, Kathy, right? Kathy Kennedy with us as well, who's responsible for making today happen. The Winnipeg Jets Hockey Club will launch their 2019-20 home schedule with an exciting home opener at Bellum TS Place featuring live Music to build up the much-anticipated on-ice action Thursday, October 10th when the Minnesota Wild come to town. Fans will want to show up early and be in their seats to catch the team's first regular season warm-up at 6.30 and then help welcome the 2019-20 squad to the ice as part of a special home opener pre-game player introduction that will get underway at 7 p.m. For the first time ever, the player intros will be set to a special live musical performance featuring three Winnipeg-born musicians. There should be Icon in there somehow. Drummer Brent Fitz, who has shared the stage with the likes of Slash, Gene Simmons, Alice Cooper, and... And Theory of a Dead Man, the guitarist Derek Godfried of Harlequin, and Chris Burt Gaffney, bassist of the Pumps, will rock Bell MTS places. The entire 2019-20 roster is presented. Are you kidding me? Live music. Has this ever been done before, to your knowledge? No, and uh, I think maybe Nashville has had a lot of uh, stuff maybe between periods, but not as an actual part of the game, the setup to the game. So, um, so it's a first. It's a different team this year, so I think it's great that we're having a different format for the intros. And uh, we rehearsed it yesterday, and I, I got to say, it's a very cool Winnipeg thing because it's a great music town too. So I think, you know, we're so proud of our our Jets and the, the music scene. So um, yeah, it's like for me the, the the ultimate homecoming. I've come and played here a million gigs and stuff, but to include uh, something that involves the Jets. It's unbelievable. Are you doing different intros for each player, or is it just one song and the players are all going to come out? You know, we've been going back and forth on this for months. Like, what would be ideal to to um, to bring, you know, the, the entire team out? But, you know, the roster is never uh, formal until about 5 p.m. game day. So we sort of have a general idea. There's probably 20 players, 21 players, give or take. And we, um, I think they go alphabetically how they announce the players, but we were we didn't want to just have specifics because then someone might judge, oh, you played that song for that player. <laughs> we didn't want to get... What we thought was we'd do a, a um, just a general... Uh, it's going to be rock and roll based and there'll be some hints of Winnipeg and there'll be a few hints of some of the people that I've come you know through Winnipeg and played with. So, um, And generally speaking, we just... It, it, um, it, it was going to be a lot of music. You know, I've been around the planet the last couple of months too with a bunch of other gigs and to come home and put this all together real quickly we were like are we learning 20 songs on the on the fly was going to be a lot of work but no it came together great yesterday is it really on the fly when you use that expression in terms of learning the songs or is it is it is it that quick that you have to accommodate all these things well we had been discussing it with Kyle Ballharry who's the you know like basically mm-hmm. the uh, entertainment director for the team and we we kind of agreed on some some 
some things, but he kind of left it up to me as well. But we had had a, a bunch of things that Chris Bergafni and, and Derek Gottfried and I were working on. And then as we were going through it yesterday with the player announcements, a couple changes happened. And, and we were like, well, let's just, you know, like as we're building it, we'll, we'll turn it into so- like, again, we, uh, it was kind of a work in progress, but it, it turned out great. So I'm just hoping that, you know, on Thursday, everybody hears little snippets of some cool songs that, that they're familiar with. So pay attention is the, is the key here. And to be alert for the different hints of Winnipeg uh, testimony within the music. Mark Chipman, as many people may or may not know, is a drummer himself. So if you got a kinship there with Mark, how did this come about? We do. We've actually had uh, uh, some great discussions over the last couple of years about hockey and and drums. And he goes, well, I, you know, I don't really consider myself a drummer. And I go, oh, I know you're a drummer because you probably have, you know, you you have a drum kit at home, and uh, apparently he told me once that he had enjoyed being home and jammed to the Took record once. I thought that was quite <laughs> honorable. But um, yeah, so uh, there's a little hint of something to honor. I know some of the bands that Mark likes, and we you know, put in a couple of those into the intro as well. So, Right on. So you are one of like the Winnipeg Jets' greatest ambassadors. When I first met you, you were here, we were on location at Canadian's Polo Park uh, for a Winnipeg Jets event, and you were there, I think, to you had some memorabilia with you or what have you. Like, you have, Do you have a collection of Jets paraphernalia at home? Yeah, I mean, it started in Winnipeg as a kid, right? Posters on my wall, the Morris Lukowicz 7-Up poster back in the day, and uh, <laughs> now I have Morris Lukowicz on speed dial on my phone, but that's another story. Isn't that funny uh, how <laughs> life deals you those cards Pokey sometimes? Reddick called me last night. Come he lives on. in Vegas. Oh. He is my neighbor. Pokey and Reddick. Pokey uh, called me just as I was leaving the arena. He's like, hey, Brent, how's it going? Uh, are, let's get for coff- get to- together for coffee next week in Vegas. This stuff happens. Careful what you, what you wish for. Um, no, I was the biggest fan ever. As a kid who wasn't, you know, I, I you know, loved the, the Jets in the 70s. Uh, and now it's like I have this shrine uh, in, in Vegas. I have the original arena seats. Um, I have, you know, just, I don't know. It's <laughs> I've heard it referred to as Winnipeg South. Your house. There's a lot of Winnipeggers down there too, so I get to miss the game when the Jets play in in Vegas in November here because I'm I'm on the road. But uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm like I'm just a collector of everything. I'm going to the Jets uh, store after we get off the phone. <laughs> I get off in the studio here. I'm going to buy some stuff. Here. <laughs> It's fantastic. I'm wearing jet stuff right now. Come on. You're you're like the unofficial mayor of Winnipeg. And Kathy, we've got to get you in here. Just, you know, you've known Brent for a long time. And then to see this kind of culmination, this whole thing come together, almost full circle. You've seen it yourself. You've lived it. uh, And it's something special to see it happen to someone that you care about so much. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, as you say, full circle. And yesterday, in, in watching him do a little practicing and, you know, performing for the media that had uh, assembled, uh, heart was full because I know what this means to Brent. And uh, it's huge. And, and I have to ask Brent, is there anything different that you have to do in order, when it comes to the drums and tuning, um, when it comes to playing on the ice? Um. We always use the term in music with a, a bunch of musicians. I always say, hey, guys, on stage tonight, it's a little bit of a heads-up hockey mentality. And that meaning, you know, just keep keep an eye on everybody on stage. But what we're the, – the same idea uh, Thursday is because it's a live thing and the players coming out, there's a lot of variables. You know, the average opening night of a player intro thing for any other team or what's been done before is – maybe some recorded music underneath the player announcements. So by having us actually playing live instruments and following a script, which is Jay's, you know, announcing of the players and the players are going to be right in front of us. There's a few variables like, is the player there? Is he, you know, or, or how long is it going to take for him to come out or skate? (laughs) So we're all going to be watching each other. Plus I think they're going to pile in a bunch of fans down. This is all happening by the Zamboni entrance, you know, right on the corner there. So um, it's, it's, there's room for some, <laughs> some chaos to happen. <laughs> and we kind of welcome it because it's, that's what it should be is like, you know, it's going to be br- breathing as, as the night, you know, it's going to probably be six minutes of the, all the players coming out. And, uh, and we just had to come up with some little snippets that work because it doesn't take long for a player to come out on the ice, but we just don't know what to expect because we haven't, j- we haven't done this with good. the players. This so is it's going to be, be great. Good. 
you're set up right on the ice too? Like Not right on. Just okay. you know, like where the the um, I think the back area by the Jets dressing room. There's a, like yes. a hallway that comes out sort of by the Zamboni. So they built this. They built a drum riser. There's a whole light show. It's like a rock concert going on down there. It's going to be nuts. That is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And uh, through the courtesy of uh, one of my good friends, I got a call yesterday. Hey. You want to move down to the 100s for the game on Thursday night? And I said, you have no idea how badly I want to be in the 100s on Thursday night. So thanks, Brent. I cannot wait. There will be thousands looking forward to this, and it's always great to have you in the city. Thanks for making us part of your itinerary. It means uh, a lot. Thanks for, thanks for having me on again, guys. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.